Thanks for listening to the Talking Book Podcast. My name is Chris Hartram. Talking Book is a mission-driven audiobook publisher of independent literature. We are located in the Misty Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, and you can see more about us at talkingbook.pub. That's talkingbook.pub. We like hanging out and we like uh, working with people just like you. So please come visit us, get involved, and uh, we love you all very much. Oh my God. Everybody, welcome to the Talking Book Podcast, episode three, the third episode. Um, Today, I'm going to talk to one of my close buddies um, and all around nice guys, Bud Smith. Bud, uh, he's in New Jersey um, and uh, he wrote the book Work, which is a memoir that is out now from Civil Coping Mechanisms. Bud is just, how do I even begin to describe how I feel about Bud Smith? This guy, I think I've said this before, but if aliens, uh, you know, aliens that we weren't even sure if they were hostile or if they were uh, friendly, and we had to pick a person to go talk to them, to make them feel comfortable so they didn't blow us out of the stars immediately in case they were dangerous, you know, I would probably, I'd probably pick Bud Smith because um, I'm not saying that he is 100% the one, you know, uh, you know, you probably want some uh, some diversity in there, um, you know, but, uh, but he would definitely be in like the top three to five people that you would want to go talk to the aliens to make sure that they knew that we were laid back, that we were calm, nice, uh, you know, sympathetic people, creatures in this, this wild galaxy. Uh, but anyway, so I, yeah, I'm going to chat to chat to Bud Smith here in a second, um, about his new book work. It's a hell of a book. Uh, it's a memoir and, uh, you should definitely get it. But, uh, but anyway, Enough out of me. Here is my conversation with Bud Smith, author of Workout Now from Civil Coping Mechanisms. So we're recording. We're recording now. This is this is recording. This is an official cut. This will be on NPR, PBS, ABC, like all the channels. Nice. Good. I deserve it. (laughs) You deserve everything. How was uh how was last night in the reading you did with Ben Laurie? It was really good. It's always good to see Ben. He's like uh you know, he just does really cool stuff and he's a good person like to talk to. Um a lot of writers you get them talking about their lives and their lives just suck. Or they're not good at telling <laughs> they're not good at telling stories, you know. They they just don't know how right. to like communicate orally. That sounds horrible. Communicate <laughs> communicate orally. <laughs> but they you know, they're just used to sitting there in their boring ass chair at their boring ass writer palace, whatever that is. By palace, you know, really I mean they live in like a filing cabinet, most of them. But, right. Uh, but Ben's Ben's. Yeah, that's cool. funny. I, I always I always wonder about that. It's like somebody, you know, even who's a badass writer, um, and then they 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 suck at telling you stuff and you're always I guess it just everybody's brain is wired differently, but that is always surprising. I mean yeah, why is that? I don't know. Yeah, even if they're really good at telling, like their writing is made up of anecdotes. And then when I hang out with them and I'm trying to, Ben's not that way. Ben is like the opposite. His stories, if you read them, are like, 
you know, beautiful fables for adults is what some people say. But then, when, you know, when you – so his stories are written that way. But when you talk to him, he's just got the best anecdotes. And he's he's just funny as hell. Uh, I don't know. The guy's got a lot of life to him. But, like, I think about writers who um, who tell great stories, like, in person. And, you know, then their writing's not good. And I don't understand how that happens either. I mean, just write down what you're thinking. What's what's the disconnect? Right, yeah. Record, record it and but type I'm, it up, dummy. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder if it is it you think it's uh, you think the majority of great writers that you love are also good at communicating orally, as you said, or do you think it's like a 50 50 split? I wonder. Yeah, I haven't met that many people yet. You know, I'm, I'm still like in your life, in my life. Yeah, most of the people I am around are, are not not even artists, let alone writers. They're people sure. doing regular stuff. So it's it's I don't know yet. Hopefully, um, hopefully I get to like report back on whether or not uh george saunders is a boring asshole or whether or not right. he's cool yeah you know what i mean i'm yeah, sure he's I'm yeah sure yeah he's cool. totally i'm i'm sure he's cool but yeah, i don't I mean, know I, yet i think you know it could have something to do with just like introverted and extroverted and uh some people that are you know good at telling stories if they're extroverted maybe they're good both ways or just talking if they're introverted maybe they're still good at telling the stories just not to people's faces or something it could be that's probably definitely what it is like you know when somebody's like gregorious or whatever they say which i always right. forget, you know i always take for granted that not everybody i don't know sometimes though it's a pain in the ass to talk to me you know i'm like just so happy and excited to be there and talking to somebody and and then they're like okay back up a little bit stop hugging me I don't need another beer. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, see, luckily, luckily, I've been uh, accused of being gregarious as well, and uh, and I love uh, the times I've been around you and you offering me beers and the hugs and everything. Yeah, well, you know, once you get two uh, sappy losers like me and you together, it's like forget about it. You're just that's like, true. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. <clears throat> yeah, man. I I feel like I've struggled with. Uh, I, I've always been a, an extroverted person, and I um. I find it easy to talk to people and tell stories and anecdotes. And then the struggle for me is not being a shitty writer and like trying to turn that ability into confidence on the page. So, you know, I guess it goes both ways. Yeah, it definitely does go both ways. And it's like, it's all easier said than done. I think, um, you know, I, I talk a lot of shit, but it's just fun to talk shit. You know, don't, <laughs> don't take it to heart, you know, but the thing is like, um, you know, like, the way, yeah, just what you said. Sometimes, like, it takes a long time to figure out what you want to do with your writing uh, or your painting or your piano playing, whatever it is. But it just takes a while, and you gotta right. give you gotta give it time, and you can't be uh, you can't feel bad about yourself because you're not as like quote unquote good as you want to be. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, wise words for everybody, I guess, on any level. Um, Telling uh, and speaking of uh, stories, what what was the uh, what was the event last night like between you and Ben? I mean, was it you guys doing readings? Did you guys just talk to the audience? What was that like? Yeah, it was cool. I, it, it opened up like we both did a really sh uh, short reading. I did like a really short reading because I mean I was just I was filling in for a woman. Um, her uncle I think had a heart attack, and it was like last minute. I was just like came came into the like do the Q and A thing or whatever. So I was like kind of feeling like. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be like, you know, rude about it. So I read just a tiny little thing. They wanted us to. I read a little thing, and then Ben read for a while, and he kept being like, "Okay, I guess that's enough." And and 
uh, would be like, no, read some more stories, dummy. You know, you like flew all the way from Los Angeles and, you know, so he, so we got him to keep reading and that was really cool because, uh, he read some of my favorite stories from his, his new book and, uh, yeah, it was badass. Uh, and then after that, it turned into like a Q and a session with like me asking him questions, but like. I don't know. I like I like interviewing people. I like asking questions. But the, like I said earlier about like anecdotes and things, if like you have a friend or you know somebody, even like a colleague of some kind, and you know they have good anecdotes and you're trying to like show them to people who aren't familiar with them yet, like strangers, the best way you can get them to know somebody is to keep, just to get them to tell stories from their life. So I don't even like to ask questions. I'll just be like – I was like, hey, Ben, tell that story about – you know, so X and such and such and X and so and so. And, uh, yeah, then he would just tell the story. And then before he would tell the story, he would go, well, what's the question? I'd be like, there isn't a question. Just, you know, tell these, tell these people the story. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. My fa- my favorite thing in doing like any kind of like speaking events and stuff is like to not kind of do what they want you to, you know what I mean? Like I'll go and do a reading and I like to not read. I like just to talk to people. Sure. I like to get up there and yeah. just like tell the story off the top of my head without reading it. And Or I like to sometimes go to a reading and like just read like poems that are like comedy almost. And it's great to be reading funny things that are reading because if you try to be like a stand-up comedian, you have to be really good. You know, you have to be like amazing. If like you're even just at like an open mic stand-up comedy thing, you got to be amazing. But if you go to like a poetry reading and just read anything that's a little bit funny, everyone loves it. They just get so happy because you're not you're not reading <laughs> right, terrible yeah. poems. You're not like, you know, and and they think you're the yeah, funniest you're not, person you're not, ever born. But you're not. You're just not at a <laughs> comedy show where right, you would it's suck the same exact so bad. thing. Yeah, it's the same thing if you go to a movie expecting it to suck shit and then it's just pretty good. It seems fucking amazing. Oh yeah. That's for sure. That's for sure. Like you, you know, you get in there and, and you didn't waste $10. It's like you just won the Super Bowl. Right. Because they're expecting these dreary, long-winded poems where they're like looking at their watch and then you're just telling all these great jokes in poetry form and they're like, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, the other thing I like to do with readings is like not to bring books to sell because it's just like one less thing to like kind of shill at people, you know? I'm like... Sure, Yeah. You know, so I like to just go talk to people, maybe read, maybe not, and just kind of like make it try to make it fun for people who are like out. Some of them are on dates, for God's sake. You know, they <laughs> I actually ran into yeah. a couple. That was one of the one of the craziest things from last night. So the event with Ben was at a Greenlight Bookstore. And um, OK, cool. People really came out to see him, you know. They were really excited to see him. And he he was signing books and he had like a line of people stretched through the store. And I was standing off to the side uh, talking to my wife. And um, this guy came walking over and he said to me, he's like, oh, that was really great. And he was, you know, talking about the Q&A and actually commenting a little bit. I read a little bit from my memoir and he said he really liked it. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's nice of you to say. And then he was explaining to me that, um, you know, he'd never been to a reading before and he was here on a date and it was his idea to take the date to the reading and he's so glad he came. And I was just like, like staring at him and I was like, wait a second, can you, can you say that again? You took 
a first date to a reading and you've never been to one before <laughs> and you had a good time. Yeah, that's I was like, Jesus, man, you, yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I can't believe you did that and don't ever do this again. Don't he was ever, really don't, rolling don't the dice it. on that one. Don't chance it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was explaining all the other things you could have done in the city that would have been, you know, the, our event was good, but I'm saying, you know, the chances are would have been terrible. And I was just like, you know, you can sometimes you can have more fun having your car towed to the Chelsea Piers and you have to go to the Piers to get your car. That's more fun <laughs> than going to a reading. Just, right. Just yeah, like, totally. Whatever. Maybe he was thinking, all right, I'm going to show this girl that I've got some culture and I do fascinating, uh, eclectic things. So I'll go to a reading. I've heard that's something interesting. That's probably what he was thinking. They were sitting right in the they were sitting right in the front. And while we were doing the event. These two people, I, you know, we're calling it now, just thinking about it. These two people were like looking at us as while we were speaking. We were sitting right next to each other. Like we were like simultaneously from another planet and like rock star celebrities. And they just didn't understand. <laughs> they didn't get it that, you know, we're just regular losers, uh, you know, that we had hot dogs for lunch and dinner. Um, <laughs> and then after the event, we literally went to a German restaurant across the street and got bratwurst. So we had three hot dogs yesterday. <laughs> Wait, did uh, did Ben stay at your, uh, you and Ray's place at your wife, you and your wife's place? He used to stay with us when we lived in New York City, but now that we live in Jersey, gotcha. I guess yeah, you're in Jersey. Yeah, right. he used to stay with us. I mean, that was the good thing about living in New York. You got to meet like cool people who were coming through town. And then once they're like in your apartment and you like lock the door and you have them cornered, you can force them to be your friend, you know? Right. They, yeah. And there's no turning like, back after that. Yeah. You just, they have to, they could climb out the fire escape if you have to go to the bathroom or something. But other than that, they're like stuck they're there. They're like sleeping there and they're accepting your hospitality. So they have to pretend that they like you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, you read, uh, you read from work. Uh, and, uh, how much did you read? You just read like a chapter, a couple of pages. Yeah. I just read a couple of pages. <clears throat> that book is mostly broken up into oh, shit. I'm losing, I'm losing you, bud. I'm losing you. Oh yeah. Is the phone call getting broken up? No. Yeah. Now you're good. Now you're back, okay. back in action. So you were asking me, um, <clears throat> oh, I was, yeah, I was asking you, I was, I wanted to ask you yeah, if you read what you read, uh, at the reading that was work, your new memoir, which I want to talk to you about today. Yeah, I read um, a couple – the book's mostly broken up into anecdotes from like um, a couple different like stages of my life or whatever. It's like broken up into anecdotes of working heavy construction, so just kind of like job site stories. And then it's broken up with like adolescent kind of stories of like different jobs I've had and a lot of them just been fired from or quit. Um, you know, pl I, read a, <clears throat> I read a piece about like – I didn't mean for it to be topical, you know? It's like one of those things I wasn't thinking about. But as I started reading it, it was about like when I um, I worked at a, as a telemarketer and I sold like an enzymatic power, powder that you would flush down the toilet to like melt the sludge in your septic tank. That was my job. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. insane. That's a real thing. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was like a cold, a cold calling thing. You would just call people and like do your sales pitch. You know, you had like a sheet you'd read off of. I don't remember it anymore. And people would get so mad, you know, they'd get just so mad because it was after, it was an after school job. So I would be calling at like, uh, you know, maybe like two thirty in the afternoon to like six o'clock at night. 
So once you got past like 4.30 in the afternoon, you would just call people and they would and some and it was different time zones too. So they would pretty much all day actually of my job. You'd just be getting they'd be getting mad at me because I'd call people in California and they'd be like, We're eating dinner, god damn it. And then, you know, call people in Montana and wherever. And I was always calling people when they were eating. And it was it was fucking terrible. It was just really horrible. So eventually <laughs> I um I got fired from there because I wasn't I wasn't I was like horrible on the phone anyway. And uh, so the thing it's I read funny. was about that, but also the topical thing I was talking about was um, it was about when I was on the football team too, because um, <clears throat> the coach after like the third practice I quit because the coach all of a sudden showed up in like military fatigues, and he was like, he wanted us to like do all this crazy patriotic flag salute and shit. Like I don't know, it was really weird, and I was like, no, I'm <laughs> just here to play football. I didn't like sign up for the military. And so, like, I quit, and it was it was like a really happy moment in my life to quit the football team. But um, yeah, you quit you quit the football team. That makes sense. Okay, I quit I the you. book in the book. I also quit. A, no, I don't want to ruin it for anyone. I also quit the baseball team too. So my book's kind of just about me quitting stuff. Right. Yeah. Huh. So okay. So you're you're quitting a bunch of jobs. Is there a lot in the book about the job you work now doing heavy construction? I, I for some reason I just imagined it was more so about about that. Just this, I don't know, just making a dumb assumption. But I guess it's through it's like about your life in general, working random ass jobs, childhood, blah blah blah. Yeah, I would say that the book is like more than half about my heavy construction jobs, um, and it just kind of like in the background of some of the other, other anecdotes is like things that are going on in my personal life why while I was working in like the chemical plant welding or while I'm working in the oil refinery taking apart the machinery that processes crude oil or like while I'm working in the power plants and we're cutting the tubes apart where the the uh, steam travels through to power the turbines and it's about like when I moved I actually got married in a town where I, I used to do like a lot of work at the power plant so it's kind of about like the town of Jersey City, moving here, moving up from like, I grew up at a campground in New Jersey. So it's kind of just about like leaving, leaving the like the dirt road campground I'm from, um, moving up to New York City, and just kind of like trying to work construction and make it with that while doing creative work. So like the book, the total work is just, it's, it's a lot of things. It's like working towards relationships, working towards, you, you know, actually making a living and working on your creative, your creativity, like trying to write novels, right, trying yeah, to totally. make art, you know, try to live like a full life. And, right. you know, so the whole time while, while writing a memoir too, it's like, I'm just like constantly like, oh my God, I don't, don't turn on the sappy music, you know, while, while this part's <laughs> right. playing, you know, here's the part where the protagonist, Bud Smith, overcomes a great obstacle in his life. But mostly <laughs> that great obstacle is me just crashing my car. Yeah, that that's funny because it reminds me of the review uh, that you wrote about your own book for Barrel House, I think it was, where you're 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 digging into yourself and kind of that, – that was really funny. Yeah, yeah. You're, it was the first review that – it hasn't been reviewed anywhere yet because it just came out last week. And, um, you know – I think a lot of presses are are lucky enough to to get like advanced review copies out really early and stuff. And um, sure, yeah, civil coping mechanisms, right? 
Yeah, so Civil Copa Mechanisms uh, wasn't able to do any like advanced review copies. So uh, I'm I'm happy about that though because I really don't like I don't like when books have this big like lead up time like when when you have to see it for like two months before it's even out because right you get burnt out on it before you even yeah, read it kinda. then you're like i don't want to read this fucking thing or like you yeah, find i agree i totally you find agree. out you find out that it's going to be lousy before you even get a chance to or or you know or you just hear most of the time reviews are never bad reviews anymore because no one everybody knows each other and doesn't want to look like an asshole so when you do <laughs> we're just everyone's friends yeah yeah so when you do read a review it's like I mean, I'm not saying people lie in reviews, but I'm saying if you have like a bad opinion about a book, you just they, those reviews don't come out usually because it's not like people are people are critics still, but they're not like living off of a critical salary and like we really care sure. what Chris Hartram's opinion of Scott McClanahan's new book is and if Chris says it's bad, then we're not reading McClanahan's new book. Right. Yeah. Scott told me that the main reason, the main reason that he is getting some accolades is because I told people that it's good. And so that's really been driving sales apparently. Yeah. Well, that guy's, that guy's a genius, you know, but a lot of times you read these really glowing book reviews and then you actually (laughs) read the book and you're like, what, there's nothing glowing about this. So anyway, (laughs) I'm yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy that, uh, I'm actually really happy that there there was no like I don't know. I don't want people getting burnt out on this this book. They get burned out on other I stuff. Know. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's 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 the specifically the uh you know, the months of the social media posts of the book cover and so and so said all these amazing things and like absolutely changed my life. And then like after a few weeks of that, you're like, I'm tired of seeing this cover. Like I don't want to see the cover anymore. So then that subconsciously wires you to be tired of it, maybe. But but maybe that's not everybody and that's why everybody they still do it. Yeah. I mean, that's smart I guess that's like technically smart marketing, but I think we're right. in like, you know, we're in the age now where the album comes out on Tuesday and you, they, you don't hear the singles anymore or the band doesn't even announce it. And like you, you go on Spotify right. one day or whatever, wherever you get your music and all of a sudden, oh, wow, my favorite band has a new album out. And oh, wow, they're playing in my town tonight. And oh, wow, they're, right. they're actually at my door. They need somewhere to crash now. But it's just it's just cooler now that like everything's not so, you know, you're not driving down the street and seeing billboards anymore for like. Right album releases and even movies anymore they're like fuck it we don't have movie. we don't have money to promote movies we're done <laughs> yeah you'll see it on the internet yeah, that's true it does that way. yeah yeah that's true so let me ask you is work uh is work technically your first uh straight legit memoir yeah it is my first straight legit memoir um <clears throat> somebody asked me though they were like you know aside from work is actually you know, nonfiction, it's memoir. It is like actually sure. my life. They were like, what's the difference between this and, and a novel? Could this have been a novel? And I was like, yeah, it's nonfiction and it's true, but I could easily have just said, this is a novel, you know? Right. No, but yeah, of course. Yeah. But the reason why it happened the way it did was because, um, I got really drunk on Christmas couple years ago and I just got yeah. I got drunk enough that I had a like grew a set of balls or something and I decided to reach out to um <laughs> to a to a guy that everybody just always says is like the nicest person in the world but I didn't really know him um Adam Robinson he was running um he re- runs Publishing Genius and does real pants and I reached out to him 
Right. I, I was yeah. just like, hey, can I can I put up some uh, writing about my um, my work life on your website? And he wrote back like almost right away, and he was like, sure, whatever. And and then that kind of turned into um, the next day or a couple of days later. Uh, it was like, oh, maybe it'll be a column, and I was like, okay, how, how often do you want me to put up uh, a piece? And he just he just wrote back, well, why don't you put something up every single Tuesday, for like for as long as you want? And I was like, really? So I hadn't thought of that. Um, like I hadn't thought to write that way, and I hadn't thought to write that way about like my own life. But what it, what it did was I, I remember <sighs> this column. I remember this is like F two fifty days because I, I was reading those columns. Yeah, like at the time where I was first getting to know you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the writing, you know, on some of those columns is like. It's like sloppy and it's raw, and it's because I was just writing them on my cell phone, like at all my coffee breaks on Tuesday, and pretty much posting them by the time lunchtime rolled around on Tuesday mornings. And so some of them are like, you know, they need editing. But what happened was from like just writing them for so long, I just got really, I don't know, just like opened up a new way for me to want to make art and and examining my own life, which is I think people. Some people just naturally do that, but I never really thought I was that interesting, and I still don't. But uh, it's just kind of really fun to write about your write about yourself, especially just writing down like I was trying to always write down like the greatest hits of stories I told at parties and stuff that people laughed at. Sure, and uh, yeah, and it made me happy for a long time. So that became this book. But um, now that I've like I'm like op- more open to the idea of writing essays and memoir uh, I just I feel better as a writer and I feel like if I get really bored of trying to write a novel I can I'm more comfortable writing something about my life or you know if I'm writing a, some poems and I don't like them I just have something different to do that's what I try to do sure. as like a writer like like you were talking about that review like reviewing my own book I gave it a really really harsh review because you can't give yourself a good review or else you look like right, a real asshole. To. So I was like, all right, well, I gotta, yeah. I gotta pan my book, and um, that's what I kind of been doing too. Like after I got done writing these construction stories and these uh, working stories, I started um, just writing like absurdist reviews of my life. So I've been doing them at Barrel House for a while, and that's a lot of fun. So that's what that review was. It was part of that column now that I'm doing, and maybe we'll do for a yeah, few more awesome. months. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, it's it's funny reading. Uh, you know, I just I just you just assume a lot of the times when you're reading somebody's novels that are in this kind of uh, in this kind of vein, like maybe uh, like F two fifty for example. You just sometimes assume that you know all of this happened. It's nonfiction, and then you know a memoir comes out and it's got that word slapped to it, memoir, and it's you know it's suddenly different just because you decided it wasn't a novel. Uh, what did you did you find did you find any challenge at all in in the any of the, you know, the nonfiction rules of like I got to remember this guy's fucking shirt was yellow it wasn't blue it's got to stay a memoir I can't change anything or, or was it, you know what it wasn't super arduous how, how what was that like? Well, most of the time, I I wouldn't focus on anything like that. I wouldn't focus on um, the details of of who people really were too much because it was just about the interactions. Um, and so the, I thought maybe some of my favorite kind of writing is when like you don't really get things totally drawn out for you. So I kind of try to write that way anyway. So it wasn't too bad like worrying about like 
you know, like you said, making someone's t-shirt the wrong color or something. Just because I usually don't right. put too much of that stuff in there anyway. Sure. But um, but yeah, I think like it, you know, it's hard when you read when you read something that's like nonfiction and and you know sometimes you know I'll read those books where I'm like, ah oh, man, this is such bullshit. This didn't happen or whatever. And um, you know, I don't of think, other people's stuff. You mean you'll read something and well, you're like, this you know, I I read this book and it all. I'm sure it all did happen. But like a perfect example is uh, Patty Smith's Just Kids. I don't know if you got to read this book yet. Yeah, um, you and I. I remember you and I drunk last time I was with you. Oh we yeah, talked I, a little I, bit yeah, about I, this. I talked shit about this book then. Now I love this book. It was I like really Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, I, I, you were saying yeah. it was like Forrest Gump. <laughs> it was like Forrest Gump because you know, and the thing is, she's just lived, lived such an amazing life that like this this shit did happen. I'm sure. Like she was living at the Chelsea Hotel in the uh, late '60s. And, like, she's sleeping with Sam Shepard at the Chelsea Hotel. They're having, like, an affair. She's, like, spending her time with Harry Smith, the famous um, guy who, like, made, uh, you know, the old, old school folk folk music. He, he made the original anthology that uh, just inspired, like, Dylan and everybody else. He, they're, like, best pals. So she's hanging out with him and Sam Shepard. And, and then, like, she goes to, like, she's sitting on the steps feeling bad about herself. And, like, whenever she's alone in the book something will happen. Like she's just like alone <laughs> thinking about her life. And she's like, Oh, I'm Patty Smith, man. This really sucks. I'm Patty Smith. And then all of a sudden, like the door opens and Jimi Hendrix like walks up the stairs and she's, and he's like, Hey kid, how you doing? Everything all right. And she's like, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and then they have like a heart to heart and he like gives her like a life lesson. And then, and then he leaves. Um, it's like a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. Or like she's, you know, walking down the street and like, she feels like maybe not feeling bad or maybe whatever it is. She's just like, has a moment of like solitude where no one else is around. And all of a sudden like Allen Ginsberg, like, you know, literally, she literally writes in the book that she was buying a sandwich and didn't have enough change to buy a, sa a sandwich from the vending machine. And Allen Ginsberg thought she was a boy because she had like a, she's very frail and had like a, a haircut and he gave her the rest of the money to like buy the sandwich. Cause he was trying to like pick her up to have sex with her. Uh, <laughs> sure. And I'm just like, that's cool. Like maybe this all happened to you, but like no one else was around, but whatever. So right. that's, yeah. that, that's like my biggest thing with like memoirs. Like when I'm reading it and I'm kind of like, Oh, I think this person's, you know, making this, this part up, but right. Who cares? Who cares? I'm just like, yeah, who cares? I just want to be entertained and I want to, I want to just like, I want to not be watching HGTV. So if I can be reading a, a good book, whether it's whatever it is, as long as I, I don't have to watch House Hunters or Storage Wars or something, you know. <laughs> Those are the two choices. It's either a great book or <laughs> yeah. HGTV. It's one or the other. Yeah. Well, we're just about how to many? Uh, we're just about to get into that show where they make the Halloween cakes. Have you seen this show where it's like, it's like cake, I've seen the Great British Wars. Baking Show. Is it that show? Oh, it's Cake Wars. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a, an episode of that. Yeah. yeah, they make like everyone is them making like Dracula's haunted house on top of a cake, and it's like eight stories tall, and the mummy's hanging out of the window, and there's like a spider, sh you know, shooting up out of the chimney or whatever. <laughs> yeah, fuck all this book stuff. That sounds awesome. Actually, I'm gonna go watch that Halloween Cake Wars episode. <laughs> no, we're gonna make these cakes. Okay, yeah, we could do that. That'd be great. What uh, what's what? How many celebrity sightings are are in work? How many how many different celebrity sightings change uh, celebrities there's, change your life? There's one celebrity sighting in it. I was delivering furniture. I had this I had this job. 
a lot of times I would, when I was like younger, I worked kind of like landscaping or masonry jobs in the summer until like, it would be like after Christmas and it would be too much snow and it'd be too cold. So we couldn't do concrete. So I would get like a job doing, I don't know, like the, like that was the telemarketer job. That's, that's when I had that one because of that. So I got this job working, um, delivering office furniture and all kinds of just funny things happened when I was doing that. But like the celebrity sighting was we were delivering this desk to somebody's house and it was me and another guy and we were carrying it into the house. And I was like walking backwards like you have to do. And the other guy was like facing forward. And I'm just kind of like trying not to trip over anything. And and we walked into his, this. I could see this guy's face like, just like the terror creep across his face, like as he saw it before me. We carried this desk into a literal shrine for Clay Aiken, the guy from um, <laughs> American Idol season yeah, from, two. Yeah, yeah. It was uh-huh. a literal shrine for this guy. Everything in there was Clay Aiken something or other. And this was like maybe 2002 or something. Like it was, you know, a year or so after that show had aired. And we had delivered this furniture into this guy's house and he came into the room and he was, he was just like explaining. He's like, guys, guys, just so you know, this isn't, this isn't my stuff. I'm holding it for someone. And it was like, <laughs> it was like, man, you got a shrine for Clay Aiken in your house. I don't care if you're holding it for somebody or not. Like, you know, you didn't have to unpack all the stuff and put it on the shelves if you're just holding it for somebody. So we like got out of there like really quick. And like, didn't even wait around for our tip. Just like, got out of there. It freaked me yeah, out. You never I, know I still shiver happen. thinking about that. <laughs> that's amazing. So wait, that's is that 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 right there? That's one of the stories in work, then, right? Yeah, that's a little that's a little anecdote. There's like a lot of there's like maybe like twelve pages or so of like just stories delivering furniture to people, and they're always like, hell yeah. When you go in someone's house, something always happens. Like. Something has to happen when you go in someone's house. People are so weird when you go in their house, uh, especially yeah, it's pe- strange. It's- especially people who are like are ordering discount office furniture, and that's what this was. And that stuff always would be like the flimsiest crap. And if like you're ordering it and then setting up like a delivery, it's like this shit weighs like two pounds because it's just such garbage. <laughs> come and get it yourself you know it's like you don't need delivery men for that so are you going to uh are you gonna do more readings for work or are you gonna do you have any other plans in the mix are you you you've never done a reading in Asheville, have you this is that's the fair city where, where i'm talking from right now you, you've never been here to do a reading i was trying to come down there next weekend i don't think it's gonna work out um, I have to drive bud, down bud bud I know. why not bud well because i have to drive to I got to drive to uh, West Virginia what? To, right. to drop somebody off. And I was going to come down to Asheville, but then, it, you know, it would add a couple extra hours to like my trip that I have to drive home on like Monday. And it would be like, a f- yeah. I feel like it would be like 15 hours driving for one day. I just can't do it. I don't have enough money just to fly places right now. I wish I did. No, no, fair enough. Fair enough, man. Well, you hopefully, uh, the next time, uh, hopefully you can get down here sooner or later and you can read something and we can hang out or you don't have to read anything. We can just hang out, whatever. Yeah. I just want to hang out. I mean, I like doing readings. They're fun, but I just feel like most of the time when there's like a reading that's happening and I'm in a city, I'm in like a, I'm in like a cool city where I want to do things. And then all of a sudden it's always like a Friday or Saturday night. And I'm like, 
fuck, I have to go do this reading. And I have to like, and the people who I'm like there to kind of see, they're like, oh, we'll come to your reading. And I'm like, I so don't want to go do this reading and I don't want you to have to go to it. I just, <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? I just, I would rather like go and do probably most anything else. But uh, the next reading I am going to do is in Portland. I'm going to Portland like a week and a half from now, taking my wife there for a week. And I'm going to go read. Oh, cool. With, yeah, I'm going to go read with Chelsea Martin um, for like Caca oh, Dolce. Oh, shit, that's awesome. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Caca Dolce was a really good book. So I'm like really looking forward to, to like. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read that. I'm really excited to that. That's a memoir as well, right? Yeah, it's a lot of like it's a lot of like work in a way. You know, totally different voice. She's sure she's completely her own person. I mean, there's no not too many people writing like Chelsea Martin. Um, so yeah, it's kind of awesome. cool just to be able to like go and you know it almost happened. Just oh, these things always happen like accidentally. You know, I'm just going out to Portland and message somebody hey any readings and they got me on this one and and uh yeah so i'm gonna go do that and i'm not gonna bring any books to sell and i'm not gonna do any of that i'm just gonna go and try to talk to people really quick i probably won't even read i'll just make fun of myself that's what people like that's what people like when you just talk shit about that's yourself. all they want to hear yeah. yeah that's what they want to hear they're, they're they want to hear jokes they're looking up at from like the quote unquote audience like oh man look at this fat dad you know check this guy out look at his fat dad. and then and then if you're up there and you're like so here i am in portland uh i'm i'm a, a sunburnt fat dad they just love it because <laughs> you're saying it and they were thinking it and it's just it's this big connect and also it's got to be like it's it's got to be this clever uh, form of marketing in itself because if you just walk in there right and you're like hey uh, I'm Bud Smith the serious writer and you start reading and then you're done you're like hi I'll answer some questions about being a serious writer you know someone's like I guess I kind of like those stories or those stories are good but if you go in there you crack a bunch of jokes then they fucking love you and then you even if you read for 5 seconds they've already bought your book cuz they just love the fat dad they just love that guy. Yeah, I just don't want to be a serious writer. I don't want to make serious art. I don't want to be a, a person who labors intensively and and just thinks about every single thing I'm going to be doing artistically, creatively, because I think those things you can't like curate that for yourself. It will just it will just happen over time of you working on projects and and this and that. And yeah, you have to you know do drafts. I'm not saying you're just going to plop out. You're not going to sit down and plop out your your work, your your memoir, your your story collection, or your novel. You have to go through the drafts of it. But man, if you're sitting there with like your scarf on, and you know, <laughs> and wait, okay, wait. I want to get I want to get into this a little bit deeper because this is this is a recurring theme with you when you and I chat, and maybe when you chat in general, like the 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 philosophy that you have about being an artist and you know not making things too overly precious and too overly serious and, and the scarf around the neck and you balancing, you know, going back to the memoir, your work life, your family life, your relationship life and your creative life. Like what, what is it about that, that for you is like, that's so important that like way you see that specifically? Well, it's important to me because I don't want to be pandered to. I don't, maybe, maybe some people will think like it's pandering to talk about like Okay, uh, you know, this guy focuses on his day job or what other people's day jobs are and, and he doesn't want to focus on like 
what someone's education is or what their finances are and how that breaks down in their writing. I just am not interested too much in in things in, in art that are like – I don't know how to put it. Like I think pandering is probably just the best way. When I think about like a guy like – like Bruce Springsteen where it's like, oh, this guy is a working class hero. The dude was probably like 19 when he got his record contract. How much how much working class <laughs> stuff did this guy do yeah, before he, he was had like, like two years at a fast food restaurant tops and that was it. It's, it's important to me for like a writer to writer especially to like not worry about looking like a clown um, you know right if if you're gonna be a clown if your art if your art has some of that in it tough shit it's already in there and if you're gonna try to keep if you're gonna try to put like some guarded image up of what you're doing and who you are then your shit's just not gonna be interesting to me right yeah fair enough so you're you're wearing a scarf right now? Is well, what you're yeah, no, I'm wearing a scarf. I'm wearing a scarf. <laughs> I'm I'm actually on a horse right now. At my, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm about to. After this, I'm doing an event. I'm gonna go jump some stuff with my horse. Well, Bud, let me uh, let me ask you this. I'm gonna. Um, are you usually? You know, we'll play a little uh, uh, an excerpt of something we've recorded. So I'd love to have something from work. Uh, on this as well, would you be willing to record something there in, in Jersey City of you reading work on your setup, and then we can uh, play it after this? Yeah, definitely. Not oh. today. When, whenever, whenever you can, you know. Well, I'm not doing anything. They actually didn't have a, anything for me to do at uh, my job today, so they were like, "Stay the fuck home. We don't need you." So I've just been kind of sitting around and working on a new, new thing, messing around with, and. That's awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I guess, I guess I'll let you go for, for now, but, uh, what, so the, the books out from civil coping mechanisms, uh, what else are you working on right now before I let you go, buddy? Well, I'm writing, um, I'm writing this new thing with my wife. We did a, um, we did a book called dust bunny city that came out earlier in the year. Yeah. And dust bunny city was like my adventures with, with Ray through New York city, just doing like a bar crawl. And then um, just things we saw and things we like ex- experienced during the day, getting drunker and drunker. And that's the first half of the book. And then the second half, um, she uh, had to go on some work trips. So she went to uh, China and India. And I was kind of like just working night shift at the oil refinery. So I wrote I wrote a bunch of like pieces about that stuff. And then <clears throat> I said to her, probably also just one drunken day, I was like, do you want to collaborate on a book? Because she's she's a really cool um, she makes really cool art she's a really cool illustrator and she was like no <laughs> so I was like well you know <laughs> you don't have to illustrate it illustrate it just draw a bunch of pictures like with that day in mind and that and those trips you took in mind so she did she drew a bunch of them and then I you know put the whole book together and uh, so that was really cool that we got to do that project and. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So what we're doing now, we're actually she wanted to do another project. So she asked me if we could do a um a book about dogs. So we're doing this big it's going to be like a big coffee table kind of book thing. I don't know if it's ever going to come out, but I've been like writing 
anecdotes about dogs I've known. I've been like reviewing dog, these like satirical reviews I was telling you about, absurdist reviews of dog breeds and like stereotypes and my experience with different kinds of dogs. And then also reviewing like um, famous dogs, cartoon dogs, uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles, all kinds of stuff like that. So she's been um, illustrating them and it's coming out really cool. So that's like... Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's like our big project that we're doing through the winter as I work on like my my next novels that will come out one day. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you see uh you I'm sure I'm sure you did Mary Moore's kind of drugged up post op operative uh review of Dust Buddy City that video. Oh yeah, I love that. That was great. I I've got to meet her like <laughs> twice now. She like lives in Yeah, Philly that's now. awesome. Yeah, she's a great yeah, person. Yeah, she just moved to Philly, yeah. We lost one of the greats uh, when she moved away from Asheville. She was hanging with us all the time. I miss that girl. Yeah, you know, it's funny, though. It seems like you're one of those people who I like, you'll just write to me and be like, hey, you got to meet this person. And then and then I meet them, and you just have, like, you just surround yourself with the best kind of people, which is, like, one of the reasons why I like you more than just your personality. You're, like, a collector of great people, Um and that that says a lot about a person, and it means it means a lot more um, of a person if they're I don't know they're just trying to connect good people together for no reason. Like you've never been like, oh, yeah, I hang out with this person, and there's nothing attached to it. Like you're gonna, you know, some people right. will do that. They're like, sure, I don't know what they're trying to get from <laughs> these two people hanging together, but there's sometimes there's ah, it's just odd. I mean, I that that's really sweet of you to say. I mean, I if, I. You know, without just uh, exchanging compliments, I mean, you're the. I feel like you're the exact same way uh, as that, as you just described. So, I mean, you know, if there's somebody well, I know that you're gonna love, and I know you've done that for me as well. Yeah, so. I, I do. I do that, but I charge a fee, which is the difference. I, you know, I will. I will connect people together, but it's fifteen dollars. I have. The, I break the people down in different brackets. You can <laughs> you can meet somebody for fifteen dollars, who you'll have a good time with. You know, for right. fifty dollars, you can meet somebody who will, quote unquote, get you something. And if you give me a hundred bucks, <laughs> right, I will connect you with the person who's going to make your, quote unquote, dreams come true. There you have it. That was uh, that was me, Chris Hartram, and and Bud Smith. Talking about um, talking about the book work, um, Bud just you know going on about his life, just talking about shit, just doing a great job uh, at being alive. Um, but anyway, now um, you're gonna hear an excerpt of Bud reading uh, from his new book work. Um, so sit back, crack a brewski, and uh, enjoy the show. I've been working at this oil refinery for five years now. Same place, steady. The oil gets sucked out of the earth with these great big straws, and the oil gets spit into these great big ships. The ships come down the shining river, and the ships spit the oil at the oil refinery. The ships come down the river sagging low below the waterline. The ships leave, riding high on the waves, light and empty, going back to the straws that are busy sucking more money out of the rocks. Ambulances need gasoline. Fire trucks need gasoline. Garbage trucks need gasoline. Hearses do too. 
The oil refinery makes the gasoline by boiling the oil in pencil-thin towers to stretch up into the clouds. The gasoline rushes through the pipelines and out to the storage tanks that look like birthday cakes on the side of the highway. Tanker trucks pull up to the pumps and other pipelines push the fuel from the birthday cakes, and the truck drivers stand out in the sun chewing gum, waiting until their tankers are full. Then they ease their trucks out onto the highway, heavier and slower. The tanker trucks are bringing 91 octane to your mother. They are bringing 91 octane to your sister and your brother. They are bringing you gasoline so you can get to the job you don't like or the job you do like. Other things that are made here, plastic, diesel, jet fuel, sulfuric acid. When I was a little kid, my family used to drive past the oil refinery in the family car, and I thought that the refinery made clouds. The smokestacks pumped plumes of gray exhaust up into the sky to make clouds. How nice. Later, I would drive past the oil refinery with a date in my truck, headed to New York City, and I'd tell the date that the place looked like Gotham City. She might say it looked like the land of Oz if it was scuzzy instead of emerald. Later, later, I got a job there and would drive my car out of New York City where I lived, commuting to New Jersey every day before dawn. I'd park in a gravel lot, walk through a turnstile, put on a fireproof suit, work boots, and a hard hat that had work safe or die trying written on it with magic marker. My car got drunk and happy on gasoline. I made the gasoline. I pulled up to the pumps and handed the attendant my debit card, and I told the attendant, Hey, even though I made this gasoline, I still have to pay for it. Nothing in life is free. The attendant stuck the handle into my car's gas tank, and I waited. Before I made gasoline in the oil refinery, I worked in a nuclear power plant, a couple coal burner power plants, and a chemical plant that primarily makes acid. Not the cool acid that me and you would do on a Saturday night if we were bored, the kind of acid that melts people. At my job, I weld, shielded arc, TIG, and MIG. I also work with cranes, read blueprints, arc gouge, cut things apart with torches, jackhammers, Wrench this, wrench that, disassemble, reassemble pieces of machinery as big as a house with heavy-duty impact guns. Most of the time, I figure I'm either just getting paid to get burnt by molten metal, soaked with fuel, soaked with rain, or just generally covered in rust, dirt, and grime. We have to stay clean-shaven in case of a fire, and also to use full-face respirators. The safety department comes around in the morning and checks out our faces to make sure we're not growing big, stupid Yosemite Sam mustaches or lumberjack beards. I'm not complaining one bit. I work outside every day. There's not really any inside work. So when it's 100 degrees, I'm doing that. When it's 10 degrees, I'm out in that too. When it's that cold out, the best thing you can do is wear insulated wool socks. When it's that hot out, there's nothing you can do. Just drink more water and less beer. I like not having a desk job. I like being outside. I like being able to have a snowball fight with 10 of my coworkers on the rare day when we can get away with it. I've never been to college. I don't have any education past high school, but I write. I'm that weirdo that thinks that anybody can make art and everybody should make art. It doesn't matter who you are. Your life can be improved by making some kind of art. I've got no formal training, and I'm pretty much the only guy I know in person working heavy construction who reads books at all, but I write. 
The closest I've come to attending a college is NYU, where I went there with a crew to torch apart the ductwork system big enough to walk through, and then other regions of the building. The college was in session at the time, and I'd walk through the campus in my work clothes, looking at the kids who were there like they were creatures from another planet. They were looking at me the same way. When I got hired to do the repairs at the college there, there was a meeting that I had to sit through where the people from the school threatened us about having any contact with the students. We weren't supposed to talk to them or look at them. While I was working there, one of my coworkers had his hands smashed with a sledgehammer and he ran through the building with blood spraying on the clean white floor. We all bleed the same. I'm careful of my hands. I do most of my writing on my cell phone. I type with my thumb on my iPhone that I'm not supposed to have in the oil refiner anyway because it's not intrinsically safe and could cause an explosion. But that's just silly. We're causing sparks all day by welding. I'm writing this right now 200 feet up in the air on top of a part of the oil refinery that makes polypropylene plastic. They take propane and teal and crack them together in a reactor to remove one particle from the propane, creating the plastic. I climbed 215 steps to get here. There's no elevator. Everything is steel grating, exposed to the elements, platforms and catwalks, galvanized metal. When I, where I work often looks like a stage in Mortal Kombat. It looks like we'd be fighting on one piece of catwalk and you'd uppercut me and I'd go sailing up into the next elevation, blood gushing out of me. If I look out across the skyline, I can see New York City. I'm 34 and have all my safety gear on. My hands are hidden inside big oven mitt gloves. I've got fluorescent earplugs jammed in both ears, even though I was born deaf in the left ear anyway. The safety glasses are tinted yellow. Everything looks like piss. Between me and New York City, there are countless smokestacks, highways that twist and double back on themselves, a dirty river with a tugboat chugging along, a zillion cars a minute zooming north or speeding south. I'm looking out at the armpit of America, and I am a character in a lousy Bruce Springsteen song. Sometimes I meet people at literary events in the city who are surprised that I don't have an MFA, that I'm not teaching kids at a little college somewhere, and that's the most bizarre thing. I wouldn't know where to start with any of that. Sometimes people say things like, it's cool that you work a real job working with your hands. The guys I work construction with all talk about working real jobs too, except they're talking about not working here. It's the polar opposite. When I go to a party, people ask me about my coworkers, what they're like. It's like describing animals at a zoo, but I'm in the zoo too. Power plants have an intercom system that is just a telephone that hangs on a column. House guys usually use it. But a guy I've worked with used to sell coke at work and would pick up the intercom and say, Settermeyer on three. That meant that he was on the third floor and if you wanted to come there and look for him, you could buy. His name isn't Settermeyer. Oil refineries get school buses during the busy shutdown. Hundreds of extra people come to man the job, and everyone gets bussed in from the gate to a giant circus tent instead of a trailer. My friend Evan, who's dead now, used to talk about his crowning achievement at the refinery being the blowjob he got from the bus driver. Don't tell anyone, he said. The guys I've worked with are storytellers, but the reports they give cannot be verified. Everybody repeats the stories amongst themselves. It's a game of telephone on overdrive, until before you know it, you're working with Paul Bunyan. They're a lot like poets, short story humorists, novelists, and they don't even know it. Here's the thing about working in nuclear power plants. You have to take a psych test to get in. They have to do an extensive background test. You go through a week of classes on nuclear theory, 
which teach you about splitting atoms, fission, cloud chambers, control rods, core meltdown, radiation, isobars, etc. You take all kinds of written tests about these things, and if you pass, you get in. But it's not just you, the guy going in to pull out the control rods in a radiation suit taking the test. It's everybody. It's the forklift driver. It's the janitor. It's the person working in the cafeteria making the fried fish sandwiches. Everybody is equal in an industrial wasteland. We all have to get safety training certified. One last thing. When my dad worked at this refinery back in the early 80s, he had a carpool that drove up from the beach. They were working on this platform and someone had covered a hole in the grating with a piece of plywood. The guy from the carpool fell 30 feet through the grating and broke his jaw. That was the end of the carpool. Back in the day, they went to the bar outside of the plant for lunch. Rumor has it, first thing you used to do when you got to the job was to take an oxyacetylene torch rig to the back fence and cut a section out so you could come and go as you please. Holy shitballs. That was it. That was Bud reading from his new book, Workout Now, from Civil Coping Mechanisms. You can get that book anywhere. Uh, books are sold for the most part. I'm going to be linking to it on our website, talkingbook.pub. That's talkingbook.pub. We are a mission-driven audiobook publisher of independent literature in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, yeah, thanks so much to uh, to everybody who's helping out with the podcast Bud for the conversation, Civil Coping Mechanisms for letting us do uh, an excerpt of the book, um, Badass Music from Chris Oxley, Scott McClanahan, Holler Boys um, uh, that you heard there in the uh, the transitions, and then uh, our ending theme by Alex Sturgis, uh, uh, which you're about to hear, and that's a beautiful song that was written originally for the book Sophia by Michael Bible from Melville House. But it, it's just a ragtag gang, really. It's just a, a hell of a gang here. We're all in this together, you know. We're uh, trying to help out any way we can with uh, with the books and the, the literature and the arts and the farts and crafts. So, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's the whole thing. Make sure you get Bud Smith's book, Work, out now from Civil Coping Mechanisms. But also, he also narrated our very first audio book. It's called F-250. Um, from Piscataway House. Uh, I don't know if I said that right, but yeah, that audiobook started a started an entire era, and it was all because of Bud. But um, anyway, my name's Chris Hartram. Thanks for listening to our wee little podcast, and uh, I'm dumb, uh, and I love you, and thanks. Bye. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy. Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I knew that you were there Like an angel Who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit Before I knew The storm was passing
never went through.